We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Geico presents oh, yet another voicemail from your roommate. Hi. So about the kitchen. Turns out when there's a grease fire, you're not supposed to throw water on it. <laughs> Who would have known, right? Anyways, the fire department is here, and it's totally cool. Give me a call back when you get a chance. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the November 13th, 2017 edition of the Fantasy Football Report, a Rotoviz podcast. I'm Anthony Amico. You can find me on Twitter at Amixta. And my co-host is Blair Andrews. You can follow at Am I the Real Blair. Blair, how's it going? Um, it's going all right. Um, pretty ugly day for football that started to look like in the early games, but got a little bit better. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, it's been it's been a pretty terrible year, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> Just because like the scoring, like the overall scoring in football has been way down this year. I'm not really sure why, but there's you know, less points makes it obviously a lot less fun. Uh, but joining us today on the show to break down all the news is Tyler Buecher. He's a contributor to Pro Football Focus. You can find him on Twitter at Tyler Buecher. Tyler, thanks for joining us tonight. How is everything? Hey guys, appreciate you having me on. Uh, week 10's looking pretty terrible so far, not going to lie. 2017 is like the year of the upside down. <laughs> a lot of my dynasty and redraft teams, they've been looking great, but DFS this week was a mixed bag. Uh, we, some heavy exposure to Bilal Powell and Le'Veon Bell held them from doing any like real damage in GPPs. Hopefully Gronk can salvage something. How are you guys doing? Uh, not my week. Just bad. <laughs> real bad. I mean, see, I'm kind of like same boat as you. Like My season-long teams are doing pretty well because I have like the road of his portfolio, you know, like those guys are doing really well. And uh, even Kenny Britt did a little something for the best ball teams today. So 
season long is fine, but the, the DFS this week and last week were just really bad. So we'll see. Uh, but let's get right into the news. Uh, item number one, uh, kind of a injury that I think you could have missed today just because the game wasn't very high profile. But Aaron Jones suffered a sprained MCL against the Bears. And Tom Montgomery also left the game, did not return after aggravating his rib injury uh, that he suffered a few weeks ago. Tyler, how much how much interest do you have in Jamal Williams right now as a result of these two injuries? And do you expect Montgomery to shoulder the load if he can go and Jones cannot in Week 11? Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't really have a lot of interest in this Packers backfield. Their defense has been pretty poor defending the pass and middling against the run. Their quarterback, Brett Hundley, has just one passing touchdown and four picks in three games played. I'm not sure this offense can operate that well with Hundley at the helm. We saw him play a little better this week, but... I just don't really want to invest in what projects to be a split backfield that will have few touchdown opportunities moving forward. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, I think if if Jones does have to miss more time and Montgomery can play, then I probably am comfortable starting him. I mean, Hundley did look better today, so I have a little more hope, I guess, that the the offense can improve. yeah, I guess the other guy I'm actually kind of more interested to see even than Jamal Williams is Devontae Mays, who's been a healthy scratch the entire uh, season with two guys out in front of out of, in front of him. Maybe he would get into the game. Um, you know, he uh, was injured most of his senior year at Utah State, but he you know started off his senior senior year strong. So I'm kind of interested to see if he could do anything. That's definitely on the road of his brand. You're looking <laughs> at a. Uh... Devonte Mays, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I you kind of alluded to this, Tyler. Like, I feel as though when Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback of this offense, we were really, really excited for whoever would be the running back because we assumed there would be a lot of scoring opportunities. And I, I you know, I, I think Hundley looked really, really good today. He made a couple throws, especially at the end of the game. That pass to Devonte Adams to seal it was exceptional. I mean, I, I think that Brett Hundley is a good football player, but. You know, the offensive expectation clearly isn't the same as it is with Rodgers. I think even in, if Humley's playing well, you expect him to run more. And I think that like his rushing touchdown expectation is uh, fairly significantly higher than Rodgers, and that obviously hurts the run, the run game as well, just from a touchdown perspective. So I don't love Jamal Williams. Like I don't really think that he was – I didn't really think he was a good player to begin with, uh, or at least not a great player, uh, especially in the passing game. I feel like – Last year, we saw a bunch of these guys in the backfield kind of get spelled and moved around. We saw Randall Cobb in the backfield a little bit. I kind of think that if Ty Montgomery and Jones both are going to miss, I I feel like the move if you're Green Bay is just to put Cobb in the backfield, but I don't know if they'll actually do that. I I just feel like Williams is kind of like a a first and second down player, and those kinds of guys never really interest me, especially in this kind of an offense. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think coming into the year, we thought that, that profile for Jamal Williams was just that one, two, first, second down grinder. And Aaron Jones was the guy that we all were super excited about waiting for any kind of pending injury to Ty Montgomery. Uh, it's unfortunate it played out this way. I thought Aaron Jones was in for a pretty decent year prior to all these injuries that occurred. All right, moving on to the next item. Adam Thielen caught eight of 12 targets for 166 yards and a touchdown in Sunday's Week 10 win over Washington. Uh, Thielen has at least five catches in every game and at least 90 yards five times. Is he the wide receiver one going forward? And what do you make of him in Dynasty? So I think Phelan is the real deal. I was 
I'll admit, I was blinded by my ambitiousness to get Stefan Diggs this offseason, and I didn't really appreciate what Thielen brought to the offense as a strong, complimentary wide receiver. After netting over 30 points this week, I think it's pretty safe that we can presume Thielen will finish as a top 12 wide receiver this week. That would mean Thielen is tied for third among all wide receivers in most top 12 weeks behind only Antonio Brown and DeAndre Hopkins. He's seen double-digit targets in three straight games and ranks 11th in air yards heading into this week. I think wide receiver one status has been pretty fickle, though. Um, We've seen this year that a lot of teams are spreading the love around and distributing targets more evenly across the offense instead of peppering number one wide receivers repeatedly in minus EV fashion. I'm hesitant to give him that wide receiver one label because of that. I wouldn't be shocked, though, if the team opts to see what they have in Teddy Bridgewater, and I still need to see it from him before believing he can support an offense of Diggs, Thielen, Rudolph, and McKinnon. I'm not sure if Teddy can do that right off the bat, but I wouldn't be shocked to see if the Vikings coaching staff is, okay, we've seen what we have in Case Keenum. He's performed mediocre at best prior to today's offensive explosion against Washington. Um, that being said, I think Thielen is still a pretty good wide receiver too. I think he's about as top shelf wide receiver too, and about as reliable as you can get. As far as dynasty terms, he's a strong hold for me if I have him. And he's someone that I'd be targeting if I'm a contender. This offense is ascending, and I'd really like to invest in either Diggs or Thielen wherever possible. The team just signed Thielen to a three-year, $17 million extension this offseason, so he has some stability down the road with a contract that isn't really overpaying him or likely to make him a cut casualty. I don't, in, in terms of like trying to trade for him, though, I don't think a late first is enough to get him. Like If I own Thielen, I don't think I would sell him for that. But if I were trying to buy him, I think I'd look to move a player that's on a hot streak in conjunction with a draft pick. Maybe something like Chris Thompson in a mid-second, Robert Woods in a late first, or something like that. I don't know, maybe Greg Olson in an early second. Overall, I'm just very high on Thielen and Dynasty, and I think he's a great buy if you're looking for any wide receiver help this year. Yeah, the thing that really stinks uh, for me, just not that anyone cares about my fantasy teams, but like I just have so much investment in digs that it's really difficult for me to also invest in Thielen like from a Dynasty perspective. Uh, but I definitely agree that he is someone that you want to buy. That the guy is just really good. I saw like someone today on Twitter saying like you know like Adam Thielen wanted to play college basketball. Like he almost didn't even play football, and he is just like tearing it up in the NFL. He's really impressive. Can we just can we just like agree that the Vikings should never give the ball to Latavius Murray, and the offense should just be like a spread like passing offense because like they just have so many weapons. I feel like every time they give the ball to, to Murray, they're just wasting an opportunity to get a touch to Diggs or Thielen or McKinnon, like someone who's really explosive. Like I'd like to see them do more at this offense. I feel like Keenum has been far exceeding expectations. Uh, you know, Bradford looked good, obviously, in week one, but I mean, Keenum has kind of taken the offense to the next level. And I'm really excited to maybe see Teddy Bridgewater at some point, but it's impossible to take Keenum off the field right now. Like he's just playing like he is back in college and he's just slinging the ball like all over the place. It's really impressive. And I, I kind of got off track, but I feel like Thielen is like Tyler said, I'd say really, really solid wide receiver two, um, weekly wide receiver one upside and in dynasty, definitely a buy. Yeah. I agree with pretty much everything that's been said. Um, I would actually be surprised if the Vikings went to Bridgewater at this point, I think, you know, they're in the, you know, near the top of the NFC, it'd be, uh, as long as Keenum is playing well, I think you just got to stick with him. Um, you know, he's definitely got the weapons as we know. Um, in terms of 
Thielen's dynasty value. I mean, I don't own him in a lot of places, probably, I think, for the same reason that Anthony said, because I own so much digs everywhere. Uh, but if I did, or where I do own him, I don't know if I would give him, a, give him up for any first by itself, even at one I expected to be early. Um, so, yeah, I think he's definitely a hold, a buy if you can get him. Um, I think probably on a week-to-week basis, it's going to be kind of difficult to figure out, you know, where the targets are going to go between Diggs and Thielen, who's going to who's going to actually be the wide receiver one on a weekly basis. But uh, you, you know, you can probably start both of them in the same week in the same lineup, so maybe not that big of a problem. All right, let's get into the no shit shit no segment. We're going to start with Latavius Murray. He carried the ball 17 times for 68 yards and a touchdown in that win over the Redskins. I'm going to go with no shit. Unfortunately, double-digit carries are a thing for Latavius Murray, as the Vikings refuse to let our favorite spark score hero, Jarek McKinnon, ever see significant volume. Over the last four games, McKinnon is averaging 19.8 touches per game. Murray is averaging 17 touches per game. Like it or not, Murray is here to stay, and he's just going to sap any real value, like you alluded to earlier, Anthony. It's just a true committee here. Austin Safarian Jenkins caught six of nine targets for 67 yards in the Jets' Week 10 loss to the Bucks. No shit. Since his return, he's been an integral part of this offense. ASJ has been a steady mid-range tight end one and should continue to be so moving forward for the rest of the season. Case Keenan completed 21 of 29 passes for 304 yards and four touchdowns to go along with two interceptions. I'm going to go shit no here. Heading into the week, Keenum had thrown seven touchdowns over his last seven games. His inconsistency can lead to blow up games like this, given the weapons around him. But more often than not, I think we're going to see more of the mid-range QB2 outings from him. Robbie Anderson caught four of seven targets for 85 yards and a touchdown in the Jets' Week 10 loss to the Bucks. No shit. Robbie Anderson has been crushing it as of late. He's now scored a touchdown in four straight games and ranks top 10 in air yards. He was the wide receiver 20 entering this week and should continue to put up strong outings. And whenever he has a great matchup like he had here today against Tampa Bay's Week Secondary, you just need to exploit him in DFS and light him up. DeMarco Murray rushed 14 times for 42 yards and two touchdowns in the Titans' Week 10 win over the Bengals. He also caught four passes for 30 yards and an additional touchdown. I'm probably going to give another surprising no shit here. Prior to this week, DeMarco Murray has had just two top 12 weeks on the season. However, a healthy Marcus Mariota elevates this entire offense, and I'm really eager to see how they perform down this backstretch of the season. Murray won't have three touchdown outings moving forward, but I think we can expect this type of volume and this goal line work for the rest of the season. Alvin Kamara rushed 12 times for 106 yards and a touchdown while catching all five of his targets for 32 yards in the Saints' Week 10 win over the Bills. No shit. Kamara is a low-end RB1 every single week in PPR leagues. He's a stud and one of my biggest rookie misses that I wish I could go back and get more of. Golden Tate caught six of seven targets for 97 yards and a touchdown in Week 10 against the Browns. No shit. Golden Tate just balls out anytime he's given the opportunity. His last two weeks, he's played 60% and 50% of the snaps. And during that time, we saw Marvin Jones explode. This week, Tate played on a nice 69% of the snaps, and we saw what he can do. He's a yak monster that can take any short pass to the house. Leonard Fournette rushed 17 times for 33 yards in the Jaguars' 20-17 Week 10 win over the Chargers. Shit, no. This was just a sloppy game all around, and I'm amazed Fournette finished so poorly. The Chargers entered this week 26th in run DVOA while allowing the fifth most runs of five or more yards. I really think this was like a bottom 5% or 10% outcome for Fournette. I just have to give a tip of the hat to the Chargers for playing so well. Devontae Adams caught five of eight targets for 90 yards and a touchdown in the Packers' Week 10 win over Dub Bears. No shit. Ever since the Aaron Rodgers injury, teams have been defending the Packers as if Devontae Adams is their number one wide receiver. Prior to Rodgers' injury, 
it had been Jordy. 40% of Jordy's fantasy points, however, have come via touchdowns. Those touchdown opportunities aren't really there anymore. And thus Adams has been thrust into the team's top wideout slot. Adams has had five, 10, and eight targets in his last three games with Hundley. And I'd expect a 10 target ceiling for him moving forward. I think this kind of stat line is about as good as we can expect for Adams for the rest of the year. Isaiah Crowell rushed 16 times for 90 yards and a touchdown in week 10 against Detroit. Shit, no. This is just Crowell's second touchdown of the year, and the Browns ranked bottom six in red zone trips per game. That lack of opportunity should make these types of outings few and far between, especially given the timeshare he currently has with Duke Johnson. Antonio Brown crushed my, crushed my soul and caught three of seven targets for 47 yards in the Steelers' Week 10 win over the Colts. Oh, you aren't alone there, Anthony. <laughs> we go, shit, no. This was only the second time Brown has had less than double-digit targets in a game. Last year in this matchup, he scored three touchdowns. I went 50% on Brown and DFS this week, and it killed me. But I do it all over again, given the matchup against this depleted secondary. Better days are ahead. Mark Ingram rushed 21 times for 131 yards and three touchdowns in the Saints' Week 10 win over the Bills. No shit. This Saints offense has transformed from a pass-happy offense that often trailed in games to one built around the run that plays great defense. It seemed like a complete reversal, and this type of volume for the rushing game isn't anything new for Ingram. I think he should remain a top-shelf RB1 for the rest of the season. Juju Smith-Schuster caught five of seven targets for 97 yards and a touchdown in the Steelers' Week 10 win over the Colts. No shit. This kid has evolved into wide receiver prodigy at just 20 years old. With teams paying attention to Antonio Brown on the outside, these type of addings for Juju should be common for him moving forward. Dante Moncrief scored a 60-yard touchdown in the Colts' Week 10 loss to Steelers. Shit, no. This was Moncrief's first touchdown since Week 4, and only the second time he's topped 60 yards in a game. I'm not buying it. A.J. Green caught five of seven targets for 115 yards and a touchdown Sunday in the Bengals' Week 10 loss to the Titans. No shit. A.J. Green led all wide receivers in fantasy points per game and yards per outrun. It's one of PFF's most predictive measurements last year prior to his injury. I'm happy to see him pick up here where he left off. Bigger games aren't out of the question here with Eifert out of the picture and Green as the team's primary red zone target. Vernon Davis caught seven out of 11 targets for 76 yards in Sunday's Week 10 loss to the Vikings. No shit. We know that whenever Jordan Reed is inactive, Vernon Davis goes off. In the seven games Davis has played without Reed while he's been a Redskin, he's averaged 11.9 PPR points. Garrett Selleck caught four of six targets for 67 yards and a touchdown in the 49ers' Week 10 win over the Giants. Ugh, no shit. <laughs> you go with the flow chart. <laughs> Are the tight ends playing the Giants? If yes, play them. Julio Jones caught six of eight passes for 57 yards in Week 10 against Dallas. I'm going to go no shit. Um... Julio is the premier wide receiver here. I think he's always bound for this type of volume. Um, I think this was at the lower range of what, can, we, what we can expect. And I don't know, hopefully Steve Sarkeesian gets him more involved moving forward. Sterling Shepard caught 11 of 13 targets for 142 yards in the Giants' Week 10 loss to the Niners. No shit. Ever since the uh, injuries to the offense, Sterling Shepard has just evolved into a complete dominant wide receiver here. I think he's had over 35% of the team's targets this week. He's locked in for a top wide receiver outing anytime he's given a great a matchup. Robert Woods hauled in 8 of 10 targets for 171 yards and 2 touchdowns in the Rams' Week 10 win over the Texans. No shit. I don't know if we can expect this type of ceiling performance from Robert Woods, but he's leading the team in every receiving category that matters. The guy's a stud. Um, I think he's a great waiver wire find for anyone that was lucky to get him. DeAndre Hopkins hauled in 7 of 13 targets for 111 yards in the Texans at Week 10 loss to the Rams. No shit. A lot of us were concerned with Tom Savage back at the helm, but Hopkins has proved that he's quarterback agnostic. Um, the 
prior to um, the 2016 season, Hopkins was playing with a carousel of different quarterbacks and was able to thrive. I'm not surprised at all that he was able to pick up 111 yards here and do well in back-to-back weeks with Savage at the helm. Fantasy football fans, listen up. If you love fantasy football, then you need to try my new favorite app, Draft. Here's how it works. You do a draft that lasts for just one week, and there's no management. Just set it and forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waiver wire. Draft even takes care of last-minute injuries for you. Drafts start every couple of minutes, so you can join one right now. And the best part, play for cold, hard cash. Drafts start from just $1, so there's a draft for everyone. No salary caps. Play in a real live snake draft, just like you would play with your friends in a season-long league. Come and join me on Draft today. Download the app at any time. Just search Draft in your app store and join a game in minutes. Or play right from your computer on PlayDraft.com, whichever you want. For a limited time only, all new players get a free entry into a draft when you make your first deposit. But you have to use my promo code RVRADIO. That's right. Play a real money game for free just for using the promo code RVRADIO on your first deposit on draft. Search Draft in the App Store or go to PlayDraft.com and come play free with promo code RVRADIO. All right, now let's wrap up the show with a couple more regular news items. Number three for the week, Melvin Gordon carried the ball 16 times for 27 yards in the Chargers' Week 10 loss to the Jaguars. Meanwhile, Austin Eckler carried the ball 10 times for 42 yards and caught all five of his targets for 77 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Tyler, it appears that a split may be looming here in L.A. Are you buying into Eckler at all, and is Gordon's inefficiency finally catching up with him? Uh, Not entirely. So Gordon is real no stranger here to terrible yard per carry outings, but usually he's able to salvage those outings with strong receiving games. This time it was Eckler that was in there for the big receiving games. He crushed on two big receiving touchdowns of 28 and 22 yards, while Gordon kind of faltered poorly. I think he had five catches for 15 yards there to zero touchdowns. But it's not like Gordon is incapable of putting up similar receiving numbers. He put up a receiving stat line of six receptions for 58 yards and two touchdowns in week five against the Giants. And he also put up a nine for 67 and one against the Raiders. Outside of their meltdown against the Jets, the Jaguars really haven't allowed productive outings to opposing running backs. Uh, I think the addition of Marcel Darius is already paying big dividends. Um, This front seven of Jacksonville is just really strong. Uh, The Chargers offensive line, however, they rank towards the middle of the pack in yards blocked before contact. I just think they were outmatched in this one. But I do think that that offensive line can prevent can provide bigger days for Gordon moving forward. Um, as far as any kind of like split, this was the first time that Eckler had more than 18 snaps in a game. Gordon has held a 74.5% market share of the backfield's touches and played on 72.2% of the team's offensive snaps. So what we're re- really seeing here is just the ceiling game from Eckler that we've never seen before where he's played on a season high of snaps, um, touches, and receiving work. I'm not really expecting that moving forward, given that Gordon has just held his own uh, as far as dominating the targets and snaps and just the overall workload. I'm not super into it. Yeah, I'm definitely buying into Eckler. I think um, he's, uh, well, small school prospect, of course, but he has a pretty impressive um, profile. So uh, I definitely want to see more from him. Um, you know, Gordon is someone who I think a lot of a lot of fantasy people just think he kind of um, is valuable because of all the volume he gets, which might be true. I mean, he hasn't shown to be a, a really efficient runner. 
pretty much ever in his career in the NFL. Um, but I don't think this is still his backfield, I would say. So as much as I might like to see Eckler get some more work, I don't think Gordon's going away. Um, I don't think this is going to be a split, like you said. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I think what my biggest takeaway here is that Eckler proved in this game that he's just a very viable handcuff, and he could be a very valuable one if anything were to happen to Gordon. And I think he's well worth stashing now at this point in the season. Free Austin Eckler. That's that's the campaign now. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm i just pumped for this kid because, like, in the summer, you, you know, hashtag preseason doing the DFS stuff, like, I kind of just, like, ran into learning about his background and where he's from, like, how he came to be to get in the NFL. Like just a really, really good story. Um, obviously really easy to root for. And he's just played really well every time that he's gotten on the field. I kind of feel like this is Danny Woodhead 2.0, um, you know, in, in kind of a similar situation with Gordon splitting the reps. I mean, it, it's really difficult, obviously, to ever say that a guy like Eckler is going to unseat a first-round pick. But, I mean, he's playing, he's playing outstanding. And Gordon is just not playing very well. Uh, I think that this at least does impact Gordon some though, because, you know, previously we we're really in a Gordon because he had like the three down plus goal line upside. And, you know, he could get you 25 carries and like eight catches in a game. And I'm not really sure that he's going to do that anymore. He doesn't have more than 18 carries in his last three outings. Uh, and that includes a 21, nothing win against Denver. So it's not like the game script is, the reason for that, uh, he only has seven catches in his last three games. So I feel like even if we don't think that Eckler has maintainable standalone value, right now he is playing well enough to keep Gordon from having uh, you know, the ultimate workhorse kind of role that I think he had for that stretch last year and where he did have for a few games this year that made him really valuable. Uh, so this kind of takes Gordon out of that like uh, – he might still be an RB1 just because I don't think running back is that great after like a few guys, but he's definitely not nearly as attractive as I think he was like six months ago. Yeah, I think I tend to agree there. Uh, we, we've been seeing it, him priced that way on DFS sites as such, and man, if, he, if he doesn't get his volume or reach the end zone, it, it's a very narrow outcome for him as far as how, what kind of, like what kind of ceiling games we could expect from him. Um, it's just tough now with Eckler in the picture. I'm not sure how much of a how much of a workload he'll get moving forward, but it's definitely something to monitor. All right, finishing up with the final news item: Ezekiel Elliott failed in his attempt to receive an injunction on his six-game suspension, which he started serving this weekend. Alfred Morris led the way for the Cowboys with 11 carries to Rod Smith's six and Darren McFadden's one. And in the passing game, Rod Smith saw six targets; no other running back had a target. Uh, so Tyler. Which Dallas running back do you expect to lead in fantasy points while Elliott is gone? This is anybody's guess right now. Morris is seeing the majority of touches. That shouldn't come as any surprise, considering what we've heard from the, over the past month from whenever Zeke was set to serve his, his suspension. We've heard that from the coaching staff time and time again. Rod Smith was a preseason DFS darling, but Morris is a major roadblock for him to see any significant snaps. McFadden wasn't active for much of the season as he played a somewhat redundant role of Zeke in this offense. The schedule over the next few weeks, playing Philly, the Chargers, the Redskins, it's not particularly inviting to opposing running backs. The Eagles have allowed the fewest rushing yards in the league. The Chargers ranked top five with just three rushing touchdowns allowed to opposing backs. 
Washington's right around league average. So that's a manageable game, but it's not very inviting for these guys. Um, I'm listing these three games because by December 1st, there could be a chance for Zeke to appeal his current suspension again. Um, this on again, off again thing is getting quite tiresome, but it's been tough for us to keep, <laughs> keep track of. But by December 1st, he's allowed to appeal it again. And I wouldn't really be that surprised if by then Zeke has already served a four-game suspension that the league just kind of presses their foot off the gas, so to speak. And they're like, okay, we, we, we doled out some punishment. We're fine with taking four of the six games we wanted. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if by then he comes back to play the last couple games. But if I had to pick a guy, though, for the current interim, I'm going to go with Morris just because I believe he has the highest opportunity to score touchdowns. And I think he has the clearest path to seeing the most snaps in this game. I uh, I agree. Um, and I think that Morris, the, the primary reason that you really want Morris is just that Dallas isn't going to play a lot of games they did today where they were trailing. You know, no Tyron Smith. Uh, they had a really difficult time, I thought, protecting Dak Prescott. Uh, and now we're just playing from behind. Like that, that just isn't going to happen very often. I think if you were to look at the schedule that you just mentioned, like they're probably going to be leading in a bunch of those games. And that means Morris is going to get to run. So I, I feel like Morris is kind of the easy call. Like, I wish that McFadden was putting a little more pressure on this. I wish that Rod Smith is putting a little more pressure on this, but I feel like these roles seem very clearly established where Morris is the early down grinder. Smith is in on passing downs and McFadden is in if anyone blows a tire. Like I kind of just feel like that's how it's going to be. Uh, I think I'm going to go out on a limb here and say the guy I actually want is probably Rod Smith at this point. I mean, if he's going to be the one getting the passing down work, uh, that gives him a nice kind of floor that Morris doesn't have and that apparently McFadden doesn't have. Um, you know, kind of the whole time this was going on, I was holding out hope that the Cowboys were just, uh, were you know, kind of trying to deceive us and they were actually going to put McFadden in after keeping him fresh for the entire, you know, nine or ten weeks or whatever, but uh doesn't seem to be the case so far. So, uh, I'm not real excited about any of these guys, to be honest. Uh, I don't think, you know, they're splitting time, so nobody's going to get the kind of work Elliot had. Um, so, yeah, for me, it, I'd probably lead toward, lean toward Rod Smith just because of the targets. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, not that exciting in any case. Yeah, and we're at the point now where these guys are likely owned in every single league by now. I wouldn't really be trying to acquire, like, trading for any of them at this point. That's a good point. Yeah, well, that's the thing too, right? Is opportunity cost and like, what are you really going to give? And like, it, the thing about like trading too is that I feel like a lot of times, like we say, like, oh, like go get this guy, but it has to be like you're going to have to give something. So like, especially in redraft, like, what are you going to reasonably give for a Dallas running back that like isn't going to like adversely affect your opportunity to make the playoffs? You know, and I think it's really hard to price that properly. Yeah, exactly. And I think this probably, you know, the way we saw the touches split out this time, we don't know if this is even going to be how it carries forward uh, in the future. You know, Fadden might end up getting more work. Who knows? Too hard to tell what's going on here. Absolutely. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Fantasy Football Report. Special thanks to our guest, Tyler Buecher. Be sure to follow him on Twitter, at Tyler Buecher. And get that 30% discount for subscribing to Rotoviz through the Rotoviz radio channel, rotoviz.com slash podcast. It also helps if you rate and review the show. You can find us along with the rest of the Rotoviz shows under the Rotoviz radio feed. We also have our individual feed for just this show. 
Search for Fantasy Football Report on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Subscribe and leave us a rating or review. For Blair Andrews, I'm Anthony Miko. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Rotoviz Report, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the Rotoviz Radio feed. And be sure to contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Geico presents Yikes, another voicemail from your roommate. Sup, roomie? Hey, a pipe burst in the basement. It's completely flooded. Anyway, I called for someone to fix it, but in the meantime, I was thinking we could finally have that indoor pool party we've always wanted. I got some cool swan floaty things already going. Could you pick up some chips on your way home? Later. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit Geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. You shouldn't go to Barnes & Noble and buy 10,000 books just so you can build a book fortress and yell out, I am your book leader. You shouldn't buy 147 copies of War and Peace, stuff them inside turkeys and serve them at Thanksgiving as Terbukens. And you definitely shouldn't buy up all the copies of Dork Diaries, causing the neighborhood kids to stage a protest in your front yard. But you could. Because at the Barnes & Noble Book Hall, you can get over a 1,000 titles for 50% off. Stock up at your local Barnes & Noble. Terbukens are fictitious and should not be cooked at home. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.